Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. Well, it's starting to get warmer out, folks, and spring's coming around. You can feel it up here in the Northeast. And what better time to talk about golf? I was lucky enough to have Joe LaCava join us here. You know him. Fred Couples, Tiger Woods caddy now, uh, coming off the Masters last year. Unbelievable story. And, folks, to top it all off, he's a Connecticut native. I'm not sure if you may know that. But, he, you know, from Southbury, Newtown area. And so, Joe, with that, we welcome you aboard, and we're really happy to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, and I really appreciate you having me on. So, Joe, as I mentioned before, you're from Connecticut. Just talk about your early days growing up, um, Newtown, and was golf always your number one sport? Did you play other sports? Just take us back to that time. Yeah, you know, grew up in Newtown. Was in my uh, Newtown my whole life. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed all sports. Um, I played golf at Newtown High. I played uh, football and basketball as well in my earlier earlier years at the high school. Um, you know, golf was probably what I was best at, so I kind of stuck to that. You know, once you leave high school, unless you're a really good athlete, you know, you have some guys do obviously play in college, but. Um, I was an okay golfer. I loved golf. Uh, but before I got into golf, I was more of a baseball guy. Um, and then my dad took me out one time, I want to say between eighth and ninth grade, one summer day. And I really enjoyed the golf and picked it up pretty fast and fell in love with the sport. And I've, I've always loved it ever since. And I know you're a big New York sports fan growing up in the Newtown area, Giants, Yankees. Did you have a favorite golfer growing up as well? Or was you just more a fan of the New York sports teams? I was just more of a fan of the New York sports teams. You know, back in the day, I'm pretty old, but back in the day, there were only three channels. So um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot to watch on TV in terms of sports. I mean, you'd catch a, a Knicks or a Ranger game, and then obviously the Giants were on, um, and certainly the Yankees were on back, back in the day on the old WPIX. So I grew up watching those teams, but in terms of watching golf, I did not watch any golf. As a kid, I just didn't have the patience to sit there, and I thought it was a very slow sport. And kind of boring to be honest with you. I enjoyed playing; it's a whole different story. But watching it didn't do it for me back in the day. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay, and then you went to um, you went to Western Connecticut State. Uh, just talk about that time in the Danbury area, and then just kind of lead in. How did you get involved into caddying after school? You know, I um, yeah, I did go to Westcon. I commuted from Newtown and wow. uh, got a degree in finance. Believe it or not, still haven't used it. <laughs> um, still, there's still time okay. for you. <laughs> There's still time, right? You never know. Um, but I haven't used it, but I, I got a good education over at Westcon. And, you know, I got a break. Um, you know, Ken Green, who's people may or may not remember or know, um, was quite a decent golfer back in the day from the Danbury area. Him and I are actually cousins. Wow. And he, um, he, you know, he knew I enjoyed, you know, more so watching him play golf and loved the fact that he was on the tour and a pro and so on and so forth. And he was kind enough to let me caddy at the old, the old Westchester Classic, the old Manny Handy, we call it, the manufacturer's handover Westchester Classic back in the day. So I did that um, one week out of the summer when the tour came into town, and I enjoyed caddying, and I loved doing it that week, but my thought was to never, you know, caddy full-time or do it as a profession. 
I was always going to go to West Con and get a finance degree and go into that kind of field. Um, but then I caught a break again. When I got out of school, Ken asked me to come out and work for him on the West Coast trip, which was the early part of the year and, and back in January of 87. And I fell in love with doing it full-time, and he asked me to do it full-time, two weeks into the gig, actually. Wow. And here I am, you know, doing it ever since, 30-something years later. Did you know, like, the ins and outs of catting? I know you played it growing up, you know, just, like, how to operate from hole to hole, carrying the bags, the procedures. Did you kind of learn that on the fly? Yeah, I learned on the fly, exactly. I mean, I knew a little bit from doing it uh, the one week in the summer, but I didn't know a lot. Because, like I said, I was more having fun and really not thinking I was going to do this career. So, was I paying attention? Sure, but not to the point where I was absorbing everything, thinking I was going to do it down the road. So it was definitely learning on the fly. Um, Ken was kind enough to teach me the ropes a little bit, and then uh, I met a guy named Bruce Edwards. Yes, who's yes. also from Connecticut. He kind of took me under his wing because you know I was another Connecticut guy, and he liked that fact. And he was working for Tom Watson, and we all kind of respected Bruce and what he had done, and looked up to him, so he was kind enough to kind of take me under his wing and, and showed me a few of the ins and outs both on and off the golf course, so that helped quite a bit, too. And, you know, my listeners, too, would all probably recognize Bruce Edwards' story, obviously, ALS, that awful, that but the book, talked about him with Tom Watson, all the good de- deeds that Tom Watson has done, really, since before and after his passing with Bruce Edwards. Yeah, yeah Tom's a heck of a guy, and he has done quite a bit, um, you know, for the foundation and for Bruce when he was sick. Uh, Bruce's family, so on and so forth. Tom's just that kind of guy. And, you know, a lot of the guys have, you know, charities and foundations and stuff, and they do quite a, they do quite a bit for uh, other people, which is nice. That's the big thing about the tour. You know, they, they give quite a bit back to charity, which is very nice. Okay, so you went from Ken Green a couple of years. Just talk about then how the transition happened in the early 90s to uh, Fred Couples, how you kind of went from there. I, I read that you were a big basketball fan, and that might have helped you out a little bit. Well, that, that's funny you say that. I did catch another good break when uh, I'm, I moved on from Ken. He kind of brought his brother out to help him out. And, um, again, I got fortunate to you know have a shot at Fred Couples for four weeks. He gave me another four-week little trial deal on the West Coast. And, you know, it worked out really well in a couple senses. Um, the West Coast is where Fred has had a lot of success in the past. Most of his... Not most of his wins, but, you know, he's had a lot of success on the West Coast at L.A., San Diego, Phoenix, and Palm Springs. And the running joke I tell everybody is, you know, the first, very first week I worked for him, he asked me to stay with him in Palm Springs. And, of course, I say, sure, he lives out there. We're having a good time. We're hanging out all week. And, again, it goes back to, this is back in 1990, so there's not a lot of cable. Uh, ESPN is in existence, but that's about the only cable out there. So you're watching whatever game is on. And then, of course, back in those days, Big Monday was the big deal. The Big East had yeah. a lot of good teams. Yes. And him being a West Coast guy, he you know he watched games on TV but didn't really know the Big East like I did. And so I knew quite a bit about basketball. And I tell everybody, I said, you know, after the four weeks were over, you know, Fred gave me the job full time. And I don't really know why to this day. I never asked him, but I think it was because of my best college basketball knowledge that week of the Palm Springs tournament. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you were you were his source for information. Well, he's he's a sports junkie like me, and we hit it off right away with the sports stuff. And that's all we, that's our passion. That's what we cared about most. And so you know we were going to get along very well from that point forward. And it's what a great relationship you guys did have. Obviously, 1992 Masters. Just kind of recap that time with Fred, and you know, just what was it like to, inside and off outside the ropes with uh, Fred Couples. 
you know, Fed and I, you know, became very close. He was kind enough to come to my wedding a few years after working for him. Uh, I was at his wedding as well. I was at his 40th. Um, you know, we'd go out to dinner four or five nights a week. Uh, we really became, you know, very close friends. Um, I, was, I still respected the fact that, you know, he's the boss and he's the player. You know, I need to answer to him. But at the same time, he didn't treat me like that. He treated me like a buddy. Um, which was great because, you know, it's, it's not always the case with the caddy player relationship. It isn't quite always that way. And I think we were one of the first, you know, two guys to really hit it off and, you know, grow that kind of relationship together. You know, I, I spent 20, 20 plus years with the guy and I never had a bad moment with the guy. You know, he's, wow. you know, forget the fact that he played well and he won the Masters, he won the TPC and you know, had a great career and he made a decent living from the guy. It was I like the fact more so that we were just good buddies and became good buddies, and uh, he would spend a lot of time with my family, and he was always great to my family whenever he came to Connecticut or when he came out on the road to see him. So, uh, terrific relationship. You know, obviously the highlight of that career with, with Fred would be the 92 Masters, and you know, the thing about Fred is I caught him, you know, kind of the peak of his career, and earlier that year, 92, he was playing some awfully good golf. And when we got to the Masters, he had already won twice, uh, one of the wins was by nine shots. He lost another one uh, in a playoff, and then he, at the time, tied the course record in the third round of TPC, shot 63. So he was playing the, probably the best golf of his life heading into the 92 Masters. And I thought to myself, either he's going to you know, capitalize on the fact that he's playing very well and pull this thing off, or he's going to put so much pressure on himself knowing how, how well he's playing and he's going to think, okay, it's now or never kind of thing. Yeah. And to his credit, you know, he rose to the occasion, um, played awfully well that week, and ended up winning by a couple strokes. And like I said, for sure, that was the highlight of our career together. And I'm just thinking from your perspective, you know, this happens in 92. I mean, just from five, you go five years prior, you're in college in the 80s at Western Connecticut, and now you're the caddy for the Masters champion. Did you ever have a moment where that hits you kind of in the early 90s? Like, wow. What what a progression it's been. Yeah, no, that that's a good point, a good question. I think I think when you're that young, you don't appreciate you know you know the circumstance that you're in. You don't appreciate you know like you said, you make a good point. I'm five years out of college, and there I am working for you know at the time he rose to number one in the world, but probably the most popular player at the time, and then number one ranked player in the world. He just won the Masters and won three times that year, player of the year a couple of years in a row. So. Looking back now that I'm older, I can appreciate it. But I think back then, you know, I was a little bit oblivious. I thought, you know, listen, I'm working for this guy. He's a great player and a great guy, and there's going to be more of these times. Um, you know, you have fun, you enjoy it, you appreciate it, but not like you do today. Very, very cool. All right, well, let's fast forward now for the sake of time. I know there's a lot of good moments in the 90s. You're with Fred for many, many years. Uh, you go to Dustin Johnson for a short time. And then you have opportunity of Tiger Woods. Let's just, how does that happen? Break, give us back to that time. Obviously, you left Steve Williams and just kind of take us to those early days with Tiger Woods and uh, earlier part of this decade. Yeah, we'll start, you know, I, I did get a chance to go out and work. I was, I actually worked one full year for Fred on the senior tour. Now they call it the Champions Tour. But I, I, I did enjoy that one year I was out there with him when he turned 50. Um, you know, he, again, he played very well. He won four times that year. Um, but he, you know, he kind of basically sat down with me and said, look, I'm never going to fire you, you know, cause I love you like a brother. But having said all that, you know, my back is not great. It's getting worse. Um, you know, this tour isn't quite the PGA tour. You can be with some younger guy. 
you know, making more money and, you know, probably having a better time. Just as typical Fred wanting what was best for me. Yeah. And I didn't look at it that way. I mean, I was still, you know, loyal to Fred and I still enjoyed working for the guy. Um, and so beginning part of that second year on the senior tour with Fred, uh, Dustin's agent came knocking and said, listen, uh, Dustin's, you know, without his caddy now, they kind of split. And he's got a couple of weeks where he's looking for someone to fill in until he figures out what he's going to do. Uh, I heard Fred's going to take a month off. Are you interested in working for the guy? I said, well, of course I'm interested in working for the guy. I mean, at the time, Dustin Johnson was kind of the new, new kid on the block with a lot of talent and uh, kind of freakish nature of, of uh, golf talents. So I said, yeah, let me give it a shot. So I worked for him for a couple of weeks. He offered me the job full time, which was incredibly nice of him. Yeah. And, you know, I worked from, I think, March through the end of the year in 2011 for him. And, you know, he, he played very well during that stretch, almost won the British Open, and he won a playoff event. Things were going very well between us. And and uh, that's when Tiger came calling, his camp came calling, and asked if I was interested in working for Tiger going forward because he was looking for someone at the time. So I tell people all the time it was it was, it was was a tough decision, and it's a, it's a great problem to have, <laughs> working for Dustin and getting offered Tiger Woods. I mean, you know, like I said, very, very fortunate, you know, throughout my entire career. Um but, you know, I tell people the same thing. I tell them to this day. I said, yes, was it a tough decision? Of course. But at the same time, it was a relatively easy decision in the fact that it's Tiger Woods. And he's not going to come home twice. And at the end of the day, you know, I've seen the stuff that he's done on the tour, what he's capable of, so on and so forth. So I could not take the job. Um, so I took the job with Tiger and started working for him at the end of 2011. And that, that it's, it's a great story. The 2011 now, so here, let's go back to that. Uh, you worked for Fred Couples for many, many years. Uh, Tiger Woods, I bet from, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's a little bit of a different personality. Was that an adjustment for you in terms of, like, dealing with a different type of person who you're not used to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're, you know, I don't want to say they're night and day, but they're certainly different. You know, I tell people, you know, the easiest way to understand the situation is if we have, 20 tee times say in the morning and it's 7.30 and Tiger's hitting balls on the range. He'll turn to me every so often and say, okay, where's the pin on four today? You know, where's the pin on 12? What's the wind going to be doing on 15? What do you think we're going to hit on 16 to par three? So on and so forth. So he's asking me questions about the golf course, how it's going to be playing, where the wind's going to be on certain holes. And so he's basically going over the entire golf course while he's warming up. He's got a strategy in mind before he goes out there and gets on the first tee. That's a 7.30 for the 8.20 tee time. When I worked for, tw- for the last 20 years with Fred, and we're warming up in the range at 7.30 for an 8.20 tee time, Fred will turn and look to me and say, where are we eating tonight, Joey? <laughs> no, I, I got, you know, compl- it's like a 180. I mean, Fred's very intense once he gets on the golf course, but until he gets on the golf course, he doesn't want to think about anything. <laughs> There's Tigers 24-7. He's always thinking about the golf tournament how he's playing how his swing looks how he's feeling so on and so forth and like i said i mean tiger's probably more intense than most on the golf course fred was as well but a little more laid back and then showed as much but still churning inside um so in in you know the, the one thing that i learned working for tiger is he, he certainly has a great feel for the game like they all do and certainly like fred did but he can't get enough information and I realized that in the first four or five weeks into it, that the more information I can provide, he'd love to hear it all and absorb it all. He, you know, he may throw some of it out. He may 
listen to some of it, so on and so forth, but he wants a lot of information, which I'm all in because it makes you feel more involved in the game. And that's interesting. As you're thinking, that, that reminds me, that's kind of like how every sport's really going, though. In the NBA, you know, the stats is really driving everything. You know, so that, that that's that's kind of like new wave versus old wave, I guess. Right. Um, Joe, I'm interested too. What obviously the crowds are a little bit different. Tiger and Fred, even there. What, what's it like in the middle of a fairway, saying like hole 16, coming down the stretch on a Sunday, alongside Tiger? Which just take us in because a lot of times it's just you and him in the middle of the fairway. And what's it like in your mind? And are you even, or maybe you don't even care about it? But just kind of take us into that Sunday afternoon scene for you, just amongst the gallery. Yeah, no, you well, you definitely care about it, that's for sure. I mean, can there be distractions? Can there be guys yelling and, and, and some distractions? You know, yes, certainly. But Tiger has a tendency to obviously be completely focused, and he cannot hear any of the stuff going on around him. It's amazing, yeah. What I do is I look at a golf course, I look around the golf course. If say, let's say it's around 12 and somebody's over on four, and you can see him over there, and there might be two or three really, really good players, but there's hardly anyone, maybe not even anyone following them. So yeah. you definitely care, and you you know you thrive off the intensity out there and the crowd's enthusiasm. I think it's a big help for us, and I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, back in the day, Fred was a very very popular player. Now the crowds weren't as big because golf has grown, and it's not quite Tiger. Yes, I was used to caring for a guy that basically had one of the, if not the biggest crowds. So that wasn't that big a deal to me. Like I said, the crowds are bigger. Yes but I'm, I'm working for a guy that has the biggest crowd. So you're kind of used to what's going on on the tour and what's going on at different stops with the yelling. Like I said, most of the guys, 90% of the crowd is very enthusiastic and very positive. So you feed off of that energy, and it's fantastic. And like, you know, back to what you asked me, you know, when you're on the 16th hole, I don't really pay attention to, you know, how, how deep the crowd is or who's out there who might be yelling this and that and the other thing. But you know there's a lot of people out there, and you know they're screaming and yelling. You know when it's a good shot. You're 200 yards away, and they're all going nuts up by the green. It's close. So it's really, really special to be working for a guy when there's a crowd like that, for sure. And I, I just know from my time working at CBS, it's a little different for you because, you know, there's never a time when Tiger's not being shown on TV in a way. A lot of golfers may have a couple shots here and there, but you're always – you have to be on for really all 18 holes. Yeah, they, they're not going to not show any of his shots on nope. TV. And then, um, like I said, it, uh, I think it's – Exactly the same. Also, it's a good problem to have having that bigger crowd. Can it be a little distraction here and there? Sure, but to be honest with you, he's so used to it, doesn't want to bother him, and it's 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 a, it's a great plus for us for sure. Did anything? Now I'm interested. We don't the fans. We don't really know Tiger too too well off the course. Can you give us any insight what he's like? You know, say on does he watch sports like a Fred Couples does on a Saturday night at like an NBA game? Yeah, just give our listeners any insights of what he's like when he steps off the golf course. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he for sure likes the sports. We'll watch his share of sports. And he's got two younger kids, um, you know, 11 and 12, so he's busy with them versus where Fred, he's, you know, he's pretty much locked in on that count to watch any sport. <laughs> um, you know, Tiger will have the sports on, but he can't kind of pay full attention to the sports because, like you said, he's got kids doing homework and so on and so forth and stuff like that. So he's definitely very sports knowledgeable. And he knows a lot about what's going on. Um, he's a big NBA guy and a big NFL guy. Um, a little bit of baseball, too, but those are probably his two passions. Um, and he's like me. He's got his teams. You know, he's a, he's a Raiders fan, a Dodgers fan, and a Lakers fan. So he's got his team from when he grew up. So we're pretty passionate. Um, and unfortunately, since I've been working for him, we haven't had much of a rivalry with our two, two teams 
But we go back and forth when they play each other and stuff like that. So he's into the sports. And, and I tell people the same thing. I said, he's actually got a pretty good sense of humor. People don't see that that much because, you know, he's always around groups of people where he can't kind of open up and be a little bit of funny and have a little fun. But he can be pretty funny when he's out, you know, off the golf course. Just as you were talking about, you got me thinking, you know, the TV picked up a couple of weeks ago, that moment when you unfortunately had to tell him the news about Kobe, just what was that like? I can only imagine that sad situation. I believe it was in San Diego, Torrey Pines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, it wasn't any fun. Uh, Dennis Paulson from PGA Tour Radio informed me on the ninth hole of what had happened. And, you know, at the time, I just decided, you know, it's not going to do anyone any good to tell him now. He's going to find out in a couple hours. So, um, you know, I had to kind of keep it to myself for a couple hours, which wasn't a lot of fun. Um, and I know that uh, Tiger and Kobe had a nice relationship, and he, you know, he was he was very distraught. Uh, certainly afterwards, um, you know, it happened so fast. He talked to the press, yeah. only really hit him until later on. And we text later in the week, and I, you know, he was obviously very hurt by the whole situation, like we all were. It wasn't easy. Um, just you know, one of those things. Very very sad deal. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. You no, know, obviously Tiger Woods. We're talking about how could I not bring it up? What a great story last year, the 2017, uh, excuse me, 2019 Masters. Uh, if you could just kind of recap that for our listeners, that whole week, maybe that Sunday afternoon, just take us back to what you remember about that whole weekend in Augusta. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, very, very special for for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, with it being so special is the moment that Tiger had on the back of the green with his mom and his two kids and his girlfriend. Um, he, you know, it meant the world to him to have this, have the kids see him, you know, in person. Cause they don't go to a lot of golf tournaments in person to see him win the masters. You know, I think at, they're at the age now they're starting to know and figure out, you know, they see the trophies and stuff, but they realize how special that place is to not only Tiger, but all the golfers. And, you know, his son is starting to play a little bit of golf. You know, his daughter's very smart, so she picks up on the fact that this means a lot to him. So that's that's the thing that stands out to me the most from that week is the embrace that he had with his kids um, on the back of the 18th green when he got done. You know, he, he, you know, he, 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 he's a man on a mission, and like I said, uh, leading up to the tournament, I was a little skeptical of the fact that he hadn't played quite enough tournament rounds. But I also knew that he was working very hard at home, and he worked extremely hard that week. Um, so it was nice to see all his hard work pay off, you know, not only with his golf game, but just physically getting his back ready to be able to even practice. And then to go and practice, now, he can't practice like he used to, but to practice all week for bits at a time, um, you know, like I said, people don't realize how hard he worked going into it. So I was very happy for him in that way. And then, you know, and then of course, when he embraces me after it's over and says, we did it, you know, as a caddy, I mean, you know, that's, that's the ultimate for, you know, for the first thing for your player to say is we did it is, is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty awesome for a caddy. Um, and in terms of the week, you know, he was very calm all week, was in a good spot. You know, like I said, he got a lot of good quality practice in, but didn't overdo it. 
Um, you know, his game was very sharp. You know, he made a few key putts when he had to. Um, basically stole a couple birdies on 14 from the trees. Looking back, that was kind of a plus and nice. And then, you know, he really never missed a shot from the approach on an 11 all the way through to the end of the round on Sunday. So, you know, he's one of those guys where he can kind of smell it. He's pretty clutch. Obviously, we all know that. Um, but it was nice. You know, he's won a bunch of times, but it was nice to see him step up in a big moment and, you know, probably win his favorite turn. And then just from, I'm trying to think in your mind, your perspective, you you won the Masters in 92. You go now to 2019. I mean, what's it like to you? I, I can't imagine you thought, but hey, you might have thought before that, hey, that was it, 92. I might not get another chance. Just what was your your personal thoughts about being a caddy for another Masters champion? You know, very cool. You know, I'd I love it to be not not. You know, I love it to be less than twenty seven years this time. <laughs> um, but no, it was really cool. I mean, even Fred sent me a nice text afterwards, and he said basically, you know, I'm happy for happier for you now than I was for myself in '92. But that's just Fred being Fred. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just an amazing moment for everybody. You know, it was more you know the comeback, all that Tiger had been through physically and mentally. So, you know, I, I always try to make it, you know, and it should be about him. So, um, you know, it's, it, both moments were special, 92 and 19, but this is, you know, an amazing comeback story. So it was really, really cool. Joe, in the last couple minutes or so here, could we just go through the, the back nine at Augusta and just tell our, many of my listeners and myself included, have never stepped foot on Augusta Nationals course. Could you just maybe give two or three sentences here from holes 10 to 18, just your perspective from what you've learned in all your years you've caddied at Augusta? Is that okay? Of course. Okay, so let's just start hole number 10, Camellia, a par four. What's what's your mindset on that hole? Uh, you know, you, you got to be comfortable drawing it because that's what it calls for. It's not a driver for most guys. Certainly the longer guys don't need driver. It's a three-wood or five-wood. Even, you know, some of the younger guys are even hitting irons off that tee. Um, but you got to get it turning over. If you get it turning over, you catch the slope. And if you do hit a decent drive, uh, now it's, you know, it's potentially a birdie hole. You might have somewhere between a seven and nine iron in there. Um, into a pretty tough green, you know, you always want to be below the hole there, but at the same time, if the pin's up front and you come up short, you're down there trip, chipping, and that's no fun. So when the pin's up, it's tough to get it below the hole, but if you do, it becomes a birdie hole. And if you get it above the hole, like, you know, everything else, you know, you're just begging a two-putt and get a four and get the heck out of there. Then you progress to hole 11, the white dog, where the par fours were kind of entering that down below there. It looks really cool on TV. What do you think of hole 11? Great hole. Um, you know, you got to smash it off the tee, hit it as hard as you can. Uh, it's a lot of golf hole. Uh, if you hit a good drive in a 300 range, or, you know, you're going to have a mid iron in there. Some guys love shorter irons or the Rory McElroy's of the world or Dustin's because they can kind of carry over the. There's not really a hill, but there's a crest where you can go, it'll bounce a little bit forward. Most guys can't carry that area. Um, but again, another hole where you know, once you hit the fairway, not many birdies are made on that hole. I think Tiger made birdie there on Friday, and somebody told me afterwards it was the only birdie of the day, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, so you know off the tee, first things first, hit the fairway, and then again, you know, four's a heck of a score, um, and you're happy, to, you're happy to make four with a mid-iron, you know, five, six, seven, eight-iron kind of thing. Um and then, of course, you get to 12. Everyone talks about 12 and the wind, and it does seem to get tricky there. Um, some guys will watch with the flag zoom on 11. Other guys will watch with the flag zoom on 12. You know, you throw the grass up. You know, you're not always guessing, but you're not always going to get it right because it does bounce in and out of those trees and off the uh, 
off the water. So you're not always you know, going to be perfect on that. You know, I think the key, even Fred told me this, the key for him was always just hit something solid. You got to trust the wind a little bit. If it does change, he says, if I hit it solid, chances are I'm going to hit the green if I hit a solid shot. So that's more important than anything on 12. Then from 12, you go to 13, that par 5. Uh, just your mindset there, that famous hole. Yeah, same thing. I mean, it's, it's, it entices you to go you know a little further left than you probably should. Um, the ball's going further now, so some guys are hitting three woods and five woods off that team, still reaching the green you know, pretty easily. Um, Tiger hit driver all week. It actually drove it very well on that hole. Um, I think, you know, people listening that haven't been there don't realize how much of a hanging lie that is for the second shot. Now, obviously, it's easier if you can bomb and drive and have a seven or eight iron in there. Um, but back in the day when the ball wasn't going quite as far, people would see guys in the middle fairway think, okay, it's automatic four. But that ball is so above your feet, it's just, it's not an easy shot. And the turf's so tight. And then obviously, we all know what's at stake. So, um, it's not an easy second shot, but at the same time, it's very reachable in two if you hit a decent drive. And a very big green. Um, so, not a scary shot, but not an easy shot. Hole 14 now, the Chinese for a par four. Um, you, you, do you catch your breath here a little bit, or is it still kind of full throttle ahead on the 14th? Oh, you're still going full steam ahead, and that's another hole where you can bomb it out there, which guys are doing now, and you have a relatively short iron. So, I think off the tee, you know, you're thinking – you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly generous fairway. Um, so I, I think off the tee, you're thinking three, unless they get a really dicey pin. That front right pin can be sometimes dicey because you have a tendency to hit a pass there if you don't want to come up short. Uh, but other than that, you're normally thinking three off that tee. And like I said, it's bombs away, shortish irons. So you definitely you definitely want to have a look at birdie there for sure. And then the, we'll come back to another par five, the 15th. And uh, I have to think you're, you're trying to get a birdie or eagle in this one, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure, Birdie. I mean, Eagles, there are Eagles there, obviously. Um, you know, for a guy like Tiger, who was in his mid-40s, the last day he can get a five-iron in there after a pretty decent drive. So it's still a mid-iron for those guys or a long-iron, depending on the wind. Um, get fairly generous fairway, bombs away, hit as hard as you can. Um, the, the, the tree sneaking a little bit on the left, which makes you hit a big old draw into that green, which isn't a lot of fun. You want to come in a little higher and softer. Um, so you kind of try to favor the right side of the fairway. I think that gives you a better look at the green. You don't have to do anything crazy or fancy. But, again, it's one of those things where, you know, you certainly don't want to come up short because of water. Um, and once you go over the green, it's a very tough chip, whether the pin's in the back or the front. Uh, easy to come up short, but it's in the back, you're trying to get a little bit cute. And then, obviously, when the pin's up front, the last thing you want to do is chip it too hard and go down the water, so you have a tendency to come up short and you're above the hole. So, a fairly narrow green, you know, for a mid-iron shot in the wind, again, can be a little tricky there, too. Um, but like I said, if you can bomb and drive there, you know, you're certainly thinking for once you get in the fairway. And then we go the unbelievable final three holes. What the at- the atmosphere you must have on 16, that par three, Red Bud, just take us there for a second. Yeah, so, so great hole, um, some different pins. They got that front right pin. They got kind of the front left pin, which is a new pin the back right and the back left. So different pins, obviously. Um, you know, but again, you can get a little aggressive on the last day. You know, you realize there's always a shot at a hole-in-one, not that you care about a hole-in-one, but you can hear the roars whatever hole you're on, which is kind of neat. You're always trying to guess, so it must have been a hole-in-one on 16 kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, again, same thing. I mean, I think there's one or two days where you can be pretty aggressive and, and make some birdies. Um, that front right pin, which actually Tiger did make a birdie this year, is not an easy pin to get to. Um, and that back right pin is certainly not easy to get to either. So 
couple days you're thinking par off the tee, and a couple days you're thinking, okay, I'm going to have a shot at two. A fun hole, like I said, it's a million people. They're all around the green, and there's a million people around the tee, and then you got the bleachers and the people on 15 kind of watching. So there's a lot of people watching that. It's kind of neat. And then par 4, 17 from Nadina. I assume it looks on TV a very tight drive there as well in 17. Yeah, it's certainly gotten tougher over the years. They've added a lot of trees, which makes it much, much tougher now. You can't get away with – I mean, you can get away with not hitting the fairway, maybe have a shot, but it's certainly much harder um, than it was in years past. Um, not always my guy's favorite driving hole, but I, I tell people I think that was – considering the circumstances, I think that was the best shot to get all week. He hit like a one-yard cut and hammered it wow. up there, left center of the fairway, and only had a nine-iron in there. So – um, again, it's one of those holes where, you know, if you do hit a good drive, you could have an eight or nine in your hand, maybe even a wedge for some of the longer guys. Um, so once you do hit the fairway, now you're thinking three. Um, just a good, solid golf hole. I love it. A couple good pins on it. and uh, You know, straightforward, but a good hole. And then we're coming home, the home stretch, the 18th, Holly, par four. Just take us to your mindset there. What was you and Tiger's mindset on Sunday afternoon on that, on that hole? Uh, first things first, you know, my thought is, we didn't discuss this, but my thought is, you know, with Brooks is, uh, you know, two, two back, I think at the time, I expect him to make a birdie, which means we need to make a par. Um, so we decided three would, it was take, you know, both bunkers out of play. It's going to leave you a longer shot in. We get it, but we also think, okay, four is probably going to do it. Um, and first things first, get it in the fairway. And then, you know, I consider him one of the best, if not the best iron players of all time, certainly a long iron player. So our mindset is to hit three was short of the bunkers and, knock down the green and make four and get out of there. But going back to the hole in general, you know, depending on, you know, where the pin is or how he's feeling, you know, very narrow shoot off the tee. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of whatever you're comfortable with. You know, if you're having a good day and you're driving it great and you want to drive and you get a little aggressive, go for it. If you've driven it okay all day, you, you know, you want to just get in the fairway and try to make four and get out of there, I'm fine with that too. So it can be a three win, it can be a driver. Just I, to me, like I said, it's what you're most comfortable with as a player. Um, and again, you know, people people know the drill. You know, four good pins on this hole. You know, tough to get it to the back pins and make three. There's some birdies out there. You know, much easier to make threes to the two front pins. Um, you know, and then I think it's, you know, when Fred won 92, believe it or not, the pin was back left back in those days on Sunday. And now it's usually always front left, which I think makes it more exciting because you can certainly make threes to that pin. Like I said, that back left pin is tough to make threes. Um, so it's nice to mix it up and give a guy a shot at three coming in in case he's one back or tight or whatever the circumstances might be. Um, but there's nothing like that feeling when, you know, you're walking up that 18th hole. You know, when Fred won in 92, he hit up there 20 feet, and he had a two-shot lead over Raymond Floyd, who was already in the house. So we basically, or, you know, he basically, and he hit in the bunker, which was actually kind of nice because I got to kind of milk that so that he could go up by himself and enjoy the crowd, then I got up to go up and see it. But it's That's kind of so neat cool. to be behind your player and watch the people go all the way up. This year, you know, we still had work to do with Tiger being short right. So, you know, we didn't really, you know, you did not enjoy it, but it wasn't over, so we still had work to do. So you're not just soaking it all in. You now you soak it in after the fact, but not kind of while you're working. I can, yeah, Joe, I can only imagine what going through your mind at that point on Sunday afternoon. It must have been an unbelievable feeling. Uh, incredible feeling. I mean, for, you know, once he chipped it up there on the green, I basically knew we had it. Um, and like I said, I got a chance to peek in the back of the green, knowing his kids were around and were going to probably be in the area. So that really put a nice smile on my face because I have two kids, and we can all appreciate, you know, your kids, you know, watching you do something special like that. And that really, really meant the world to Tiger. So it was kind of neat. 
Well, Joe, hey, thank you for taking us I feel like we just walked along the back nine of Augusta. Thank you so much for that. My last question for you is, you mentioned your kids, your family. What do you like to do maybe around Connecticut in your free time and outside of golf? Where can we see Joe LaCava? Um, you know, outside of golf, when I, outside of golf, I like to work in the yard a little bit. You know, I, you know, the kids are a little bit older now, but back in the day when they were in high school and even before high school playing sports, I'd always catch their games. I enjoy, enjoy going to the games. But, you know, I'm still a sports guy. Like, I like to go to events. I like to go to, you know, Giants games, Rangers games, Yankee games, and do stuff like that. So that's a fun day out for me. And then, you know, like I said, the kids, I got one college and one just out of college. They're not around as much as they used to be, but if they're home for the weekend and doing stuff, you know, I'm all there if they want to hang out with the old man. It's not always the case. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's about <laughs> it. Like I said, I do play some golf and, and play a little bit of basketball and stuff like that, but nothing crazy. Well, hey, Joe, we thank you so much for joining us here in the podcast. What a treat. We wish you much success. Thanks again for joining us. You got it. Thanks, Mike. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.